The Prayers of Many. Chapter 7, Eviction. Corporate prayer is like serving the devil an eviction notice. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Imagine a thief who has broken into your house and is now claiming squatter's rights. The intruder helps himself to the contents of your fridge and then sits on your sofa with his feet up, eating your food and drinking your best wine. He flicks through the channels on your TV and throws the rubbish on the floor. He's not just behaving as if he owns the place, but as if no one owned the place. What arrogance. We would, rightly, feel outraged at such behaviour if we were the injured party. We would, with some urgency, seek to have such a person serve with a legal notice of eviction, to have them removed from where they do not belong, and to have them stopped from behaving in a way that they have no right to behave, with things that they have no right to use. Such a dynamic exists in the world we live in. The Bible says in Psalm 24 verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This fundamental principle is restated again in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10.26. Yet the Bible also states that something has been stolen. Something has been taken by the enemy, the devil and his forces of evil. It is like the earth is a house the Lord owns and it has been broken into and the devil is now exercising squatter's rights. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And 2 Timothy 2.26 says, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All of the above verses use different images to convey theft, destruction, ruinous deception of people and misuse of things belonging to the Lord. It is as though the devil has a residency in places and amongst people that are not rightfully a realm he should be exercising any authority over. There is no doubt from the scriptures that the devil and his demonic forces are exercising significant control over this world and the people in it. Ephesians 2 verse 2 says we once walked in sin following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We should feel outraged at this squatter who, with his cohorts in evil, has taken residency in the Lord's property. This outrage should lead us to action. Prayer engages with the process of taking back and reclaiming for the Lord what is rightfully his. Corporate prayer is like serving a legally enforceable notice to vacate or quit. The Bible is an authoritative document that has legal standing over such affairs. Whenever one of God's promises or principles is stated in prayer, it is like serving a weighty document of eviction. When someone arrives at a house with squatters, it is not the force of the person's voice, personality or bodily strength that ultimately brings about compliance. It is rather the fact that however nervously and sheepishly they deliver it, a legally binding eviction notice has been served. No one and nothing can ultimately withstand such a legal notice. Why? because a higher authority stands behind the notice of eviction, so the trespassers have to go. It is written. When we pray back to God his promises, we are presenting a legal notice of eviction to the forces of evil infesting the world around us. We are giving them their marching orders. Don't be polite. Pray. I can recall moments when prayers have seemed to tip from polite, carefully worded requests crafted in reverence before a holy God to blunt, almost rude insistence. 
At such moments, we must ask whether the asker moved into disrespectful sin or whether something deeper, more holy is going on. I'm convinced it is the latter. On a few occasions, when we've been praying together, the nature and earnestness of the issue has caused my wife to not only pray more directly and insistently about the matter in hand, but to emphasise the earnest nature of her request. She has tapped her finger on the palm of her other hand. This, I believe, is an example of what the Bible refers to as importunate asking. In each case, as I recall, such prayers were answered. Importunity is the insistence and persistent request that refuses to be denied. Jesus seemed to encourage such prayer. He told the story of the judge and the widow who refused to be refused. He commended the Canaanite woman who quit back at him when he seemed to ignore her that even dogs got crumbs from the table. Perhaps our prayer meetings are too polite at times. Perhaps they need to tip into finger-tapping moments of insistent request. John Christotem put it like this, Among human beings, importunate asking, seeking and knocking are considered rude, troublesome and disgusting. But with God, not to come asking eagerly is displeasing. Importunate does not mean disrespectful, quite the reverse. It is because the asker knows that the one being asked has the power and therefore respects who they are and what they can do that the insistence flows. God is not looking for politeness, he is looking for faith. Faith in who he is, what he alone can do and what he has promised to do. Some have mistakenly thought passion, volume and an atmosphere of warlike fervour is a prerequisite to effective prayer. This is incorrect. Fervour? passion and even volume express our emotion about the things we are praying for but are not essential to prayer a sense of urgency in our tone voice and posture are all equally in keeping with the seriousness of what we pray for as Spurgeon says I would sooner risk the dangers of a tornado of religious excitement than see the air grow stagnant with a dead formality at heart it is simply the authority of scripture the weight and content of the document itself that brings about the changes required God's word cannot ultimately be resisted. Such awareness, when we quote and state it in prayer, especially in large numbers, is a mighty force. The owner wants his stuff back. The first thing to say is the rightful owner wants his stuff back. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, it says in 1 John 3 verse 8. Jesus is intransigent about the influence of evil. He wants what is his back under his rule and reign. It is his. When we pray, we are therefore partnering with Christ concerning things that we are agreed on together. That is why praying in the name of Jesus is so significant. It asserts the authority of the one in whose name we are making the request. But it also serves to make known his will in the situation, conveying that we are not praying things that he is not in agreement about. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus cares and longs for sin and death to be defeated. He longs for people who are held captive to the blindness that sin brings to come to a realisation of their need of a saviour. He longs for spiritual renewal and social justice to flow on earth as it is in heaven. It matters to him. No matter how passionate we feel about some things, Jesus is far more moved in his very core. At times, those who pray might find themselves feeling some of the emotion Christ feels as they pray. I live very near the beach and on occasions I walk the beach praying. The desolate location of this lends itself to feeling free to express with feeling some of my prayer requests. 
I have on occasions throughout my Christian life found myself sobbing with great, almost overwhelming bodily convulsions, and at times it has unsettled me. I have almost felt I am watching myself and not feeling my own emotion but someone else's. I came to realise at times the Holy Spirit was falling upon me with the manifest presence of God, sharing with me, with his own groans and sighs too deep for words, some of the longings of the heart of Christ. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Often, we stop there, at noting individual experience. As this book is about corporate prayer, I would like to make the point that this very verse is written to a corporate context. We do not know how to pray. What if, as churches at prayer, great waves of longing and lament and petition should flow over us? I would like to suggest that sometimes wave of Holy Spirit, which initiate emotion, expressing the heart of God, can and should rest on and permeate the whole atmosphere of a larger scale prayer meeting. The process of victory. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are lining up our requests with the will and rightful claim of Christ into that matter, that it will reflect his kingdom and not that of the devil and his destructive dark activity. 1 Corinthians 15.25 says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This can appear a confusing verse at first glance, especially when compared to verses such as Hebrews 10.12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Such verses seem to say that the work is done, Victory is established and there's nothing more to do. But let's use our image of a house occupied by an intruder or squatter. The house belongs to someone else. That is established and beyond question. However, the process of eviction and removing traces of the intruder is a process. It is enforced not in order to establish ownership, but because of ownership. Jesus does reign over all things. They are his inheritance. He has defeated the devil and all his demons. It is precisely because those things are true that we can pray and preach the gospel full of confidence that it will be effective. Corporate prayer is a partnership with Christ in establishing that outworking of his rightful claim over the earth. When we pray for people to come to Christ, that salvation would visit an individual, we are agreeing that his reign of Christ over that individual should be realised. Corporate prayer, combined with faithful sharing of the gospel, is the means by which the inheritance of Christ is gathered in and the reign of Christ is established. One of the hindrances to maintaining commitment to long-term corporate prayer is that we often do not see any immediate difference after we have prayed. In fact, sometimes things can apparently get worse. Our expectations are often at odds with what seems to happen. Understanding the hidden, but nonetheless very real, activity going on all around us in the heavenly unseen realms is very important. Daniel 10, 10, 14 describes, And behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. 
for the vision is for days yet to come. These verses show us that from the first day of prayer, something was released in the heavenly realms by way of a coming answer to the prayer. The verses also show us that opposition of significant spiritual proportions had engaged in opposing what was being prayed for. This resulted in unseen battle and conflict. Daniel was completely unaware of this. All he knew was that he was faithfully praying and perhaps wondering, why is nothing happening? We are most often completely unaware of what is going on around us. The vital thing to know is that persistence does pay off and that lack of immediate visible change does not mean huge battles are going on and the ground is being taken. The larger the request and the more infested with evil the situation we're praying for, so perhaps greater is the battle going on in the heavenly realms. Certainly, when we pray in large numbers for spiritual awakening and revival in a nation, or we begin to take steps to plant churches in places where there are very few, we must be aware we are stepping into areas where principalities hold sway, and often have done for generations. They are not going to accept an eviction notice without contesting it. They have often lived there so long they feel at home and believe it is theirs by right. Whether our prayers feel powerful or not is quite irrelevant. We must pray in faith, believing the promises of God, believing God is who he says he is and has done what he says he has. But our effectiveness in corporate prayer does not flow from our own eloquence or from any internal authority we naturally have within ourselves or within the context of our church. Rather, our effectiveness in corporate prayer flows from the Holy Spirit taking our sometimes mustard seed faith and our sometimes faltering words and breathing fruitfulness all over them. Let's take another example, this time from the book of Acts. After the healing of the lame man, the people around were astounded at the miracle. In Acts 3 verse 12 it says, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? An outstanding miracle occurred, which from the verses before we can see flowed out of a culture and rhythm of regular corporate prayer the early church had prized and built into its very fabric. This miracle, rather than having its roots in personal power or godliness, had its roots in the Holy Spirit's power flowing into this situation of need. Our corporate prayer, built into the culture of our church life, creates the atmosphere and environment in which the Holy Spirit finds it much easier to do what he is looking to do. Peter and John are quick to point to the power of God as the authenticating mark of the manifest presence of God. The authority felt by the apostles lay in their conviction that this authority had been given to them by Jesus. In Luke 10 verse 19 it says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. We too receive this authority from Christ to represent him as his ambassadors. We make our appeal through and to the shed blood of Christ. This is where the power comes in prayer. We are weak people with wandering minds and in eloquent words, easily distracted, easily falling asleep, easily losing heart, missing the nudge of God to pray. We are the weakest of apprentices, yet we are his chosen and choice vessels. So we pray together in such a way that even in the weakness of our prayer, he is glorified. I am not looking to urge the creation of some kind of corporate prayer, SAS, elite special forces that stand head and shoulders above the likes of ordinary people like you and me. These special folks can see supernatural things, can pray eloquent, stronghold shaking words. These people can move mountains with ease. Instead, I'm calling for an army of regulars, an army of ordinary people who stand together, helping each other believe Jesus when he, in effect, says, listen folks, when you pray, things happen. We do not need vast vocabulary. 
We simply need to know whose house it is and what the rightful owner has, with all authority, restaked his claim. Then serve the eviction notice to the squatters who have made themselves far too comfortable for far too long.